0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Go back in time to seasons past, when twenty-two men faced the river of yesterday, fighting for one more first, game. one more year game, one final score that would bring victory to the battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we will explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to gridiron greats, football history, its <laughs> memorabilia, and the public and broadcasting network. And we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Good Iron Greats Magazine. I am Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Good Iron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Good Iron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its was captured in the We have our 155 years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at Good Iron Greats Magazine. Com. at this time, I would like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Good Angers Magazine, a football memorable historian, <laughs> specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle items, in particular Steve Larger. The head, Mr. Joe Squires. Joe! Welcome to the show this evening. Captain, good to be here as always. Thank
0: you very much.
1: We're back. We're back. And I gotta before we get going into what we were going to talk about, um I got a lot of from the latest issue of Good Iron Greats magazine. Yes. And uh Dr. Bob deck. Stevenson. Doctor Bob Stevenson wrote an incredible article that received quite a few comments from longtime readers. Uh, many of whom never realized that that game at the turn of that century was a zero-zero tie. And uh, they truly appreciated reading about the history and seeing some pretty old photos and pieces from the Ohio State Archive uh, Department in relationship to that particular game. So a shout-out to B- Dr. Bob, a uh, long senior contributing writer to Gridiron Great Greats Magazine, guest many, many years ago in our podcast. Uh, he comes out with one to two articles a year. When he does, they are very, very uh, deep, in-depth, and uh, a great view of Ohio State football history. So I just want to get that in before we get started. Uh, and, again, uh, very, very excellent, even if I say so myself, edition number 74. <laughs> that just came up. <laughs> I just want to add if you're not a subscriber to Barrett's Magazine, what are you waiting for? Exactly. A topic we're going to talk about. We've talked about it on several occasions over the years, but we're doing a review of older card sets as we uh close out the 2021 season going into the 22 season yep. of our podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about the 1948 Bowman football card set. And before I yep. hand it off to you, Joe, I'm just a couple of brief uh, points I can make about my own 1948 Bowman football card collection, which unfortunately is in storage right now. Uh, I took many, many years to finish that set. The set itself basically grades from poor to VGEX. I have no cards that are better than, in my opinion, X+. I have a handful of X cards, several poor cards. Again, for me, collecting those sets, that set back in the 1980s, 1990s, I could not find the divisible by three cards anywhere. Those were the ones that held me up the most to finish the set. Maybe at some point. I'll upgrade. And I do. I, there are several cards I definitely want to upgrade in that set because they're much more available today than they were 30 years ago. But it's a it's a it's a great classic vintage football set. It's a small set. It's a small card set, and it's the beginning yeah. of Bowman. And I'm going to hand it off to you. Yeah,
0: I I, I love the set. These little black and white
1: beauties, uh,
0: and it's just they're. just I mean, you know me. I'm a 48 Leaf fan. 48 Leaf is one of my favorite sets. But this this black and white 48 Bowman gives me a, gives me a, uh, gives them a run for their money. And it's interesting. Like when PSA decides, you know, which card is the rookie card. You know, between the Sammy Baugh and the Leaf or the or the Bowman, it's it's interesting. The majority of them are, you know, are uh, uh, you know Leaf. Unless, unless there isn't a you know a leaf card like this you know Alex Wojciechowicz you know card you know etc. But it's always interesting because you know the leaf is obviously a colorized and animated you know you know sketch from you know a an actual photo from a real photo, whereas these are the real photos. So I mean, you know what would you rather have? As a kid, you'd probably rather have the colorized version. As an adult, you you kind of want a picture of their you know of the actual person. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. It's uh, 108 cards in the set. Uh, you know, we, we know that they were printed on three sheets of 36 cards, you know, four rows, nine cards. Um, years ago, I saw a, uh, i – I've seen – I saw an uncut sheet. This is going back, to like, 2014 or so. I saw an uncut sheet. And I wasn't mm-hmm. – I was collecting uncut sheets then, but – it actually kind of took me by surprise i saw it the day before the auction ended and then i uh, forgot the auction ended and missed out on it um my 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 second place my silver medal is i own a uh i own a 20 card partial sheet of you know a, a uncut sheet of the 48 bowman and i've put the numbers together they they go in. They go in skip set. I mean, like mine goes number one, four, seven, ten, thirteen across the top, and then underneath it goes you know 28, 31. 30, 30, and they, then they run by seventeen. So they're, it doesn't go by team. It doesn't go by anything. It's really weirdly numbered, skipping three. You know, going in thirds. Don't know why. I've never seen a pattern like that. But you know, the nine. You know, any any card that ends in a multiple of nine is considered to be the the short print in this set. Uh, you know, so for example, I'm looking at the PSA registry right now, um, you know, so for example, uh, the number nine card, the Nolan Loon, hang on here. Let me get to somebody who's got mostly a PSA set, Fab Frank, who I've known for a long time. Mm-hmm. The card number nine and PSA eight is a pop ten versus you go to the card above it, which is the Kenny Washington card number eight. That's a pop twenty three. Almost double it uh and then if you go uh-huh. card number eighteen, then Sononis, it's a pop eleven card number you know twenty seven is a pop nine uh so I mean you've got you know you know you know p- population you know nine to eleven in, in you know multiples of nine and division divisible by nine, you know which coincides with four as of nine these are these are edge sheets so, i mean but something about that right border you know got the crap kicked out of it because you it's not the the equivalent of the left border which would be card number mm-hmm. one card number ten it's double it card number one uh joe terensky is pop 18 part card number ten which would be the left border is 22 pop. so uh, obviously that uh, right border that right right border got the crap kicked out of it during the uh cutting process which is odd you, you don't see that
1: but sure. know, we're, uh, and i got a I gotta stand corrected. I think I said divisible by three. I meant to say divisible by nines. The uh, nines trying yeah. to find the the uh, divisible by nine, not by three. I stand corrected on that. Were very very difficult to find, and those were the last cards that I needed to finish the set, and uh, they were brutal to find. Now, what's the oh, yeah. theory? And I know we talked. We talked. We talked about this probably a couple times, and I remember at one national, uh, we were actually t- we were actually talking about it. What's your theory why that right side has, took that kind of abuse, that kind of uh, damage more than anything else? Wow. I,
0: you know, you're, you're used to the, to the side cards taking a hit, and especially the top cards. So if you think about it, card number one would be it. But uh, I was explaining to you, I, maybe I'd, have to, I'd almost have to make a sketch and submit it, how the sheet's laid out. Yeah. So it's divisible by a nine. Is damaged, but I'm looking at my sheet. These don't lay out one through nine, so it's not like it's not like the top row, you know, of the sheet is one through nine. So I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in the process of numbering what my sheet goes uh, and how it goes. But uh, it, and that's the problem is I've got a partial sheet, um, so I'm, I'm kind of extrapolating how you know how the rest of it lays out. But I I, I get the feeling, and there there are some pop. There are some divisible by nines that are more populous than others. But you take the card number 108, Buford Ray, there are six of them in a PSA 8. So it's definitely a corner card. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is the, the 48 Bowman sheet isn't numbered, you know, one through nine, top row, 10 through 18, mm-hmm. second row. You know, in, in other words, you know, it's, you know, it's, you it's know. Skip, uh
1: skip numbers every bit it's skipped number, yeah. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, skipped skip you know. number, and and the logic behind it, we, we really have no idea. I mean, we truly don't don't have any idea. I and mean, we talked about it, and I've uh, talked to other people about it, and they they really have no no uh, you know gathering why or, or understanding why it happened. The one thing though that this was probably about five or six years ago, and I don't know if we ever talked about it. We did talk about it. There was a rumor that the reason why they were so oddly numbered, would it have been possible that they that Bowman at that time did one of their non-sports runs combined with the football cards? Is that possible? No, I can't see the, it, the, Bowman... the,
0: Ditto. The 36-card sheet that I saw uh, had was all football. And – you know it's it's hang on i'm running this out real quick i've actually never 40 it's 49 i actually never thought about what uh what it looks like if you run it out mean, that's 20 uh and again it's not it's not adding up divisible by 9 it's, it's interesting cuz my my sheets starts with one on my top row which is five cards 1 4 7 10 13 I assume I'm the first, okay. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the 8A sheet. And since it's okay. four rows of nine and I started with one, I assume I'm missing the four, you know, columns to the right. Could be 16, 19, right. 22, 25. I would expect to see right. one of these borders ending in multiples of nine, and it's not. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, card number 45, according to this, or number 18... Yeah, what's interesting is I'm missing all the multiples of nine on my sheet. Uh, I have no multiples of nine on this Series A sheet. So maybe, okay. maybe one of the other sheets has has it on there. I, you know, it's fascinating. I've never broken into how this is laid out on the 48 Bowman sheet until, you know, I have it numbered, but I've never extrapolated that. Like I said, that's kind of interesting. Is there another sheet that is
1: short-printed?
0: Because we've only seen well, that's one what I'm sheet. Watching.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean if if, okay. if if you if you use the the theory of three uh 36 still going to be you'll be at the 108 but it still doesn't it's not logical where the the short printed cards are from. Am I right or am I wrong? Or am I or am I or am figuring it out wrong? So if, if, no, if you have a 36, no, right. card, Yeah. Yeah, so if if you get three thirty six card sheets that's hundred and eight cards that's the set. How did all those short prints come how why did they come into being? I don't know I don't know I mean it doesn't make sense so could have been a third sheet that was just all the um odd number i mean the uh divisible by nine numbers printed, and for whatever whatever reason it didn't get didn't get printed enough. there weren't enough of those sheets printed. I don't know that either, you know. So yeah. it doesn't make sense. It really it really doesn't make sense. Think, way yeah, when you, you it, think about short print,
0: sure, you, you think about how it was
1: loaded into the into
0: the cutting machine and how you know and you know, and if it got damaged on a side rail. Or you think about the last card in the set and the kids putting their rubber bands around it, you know, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: right. right. This is interesting. I and this is what's funny is when you stop and yeah. take time to dig into you know
1: and the big question could also be, did all those divisible by nines, were they a separate, key, separate cut, and they got ruined for whatever reason? And therefore, they, they never got into circulation as much as the other cuts. Who knows? I mean, it's – I really – I don't um, – that, that's one thing I never really could understand about that set and where the nines were. You know what I mean? And as you, you and I got to know each other more and, and you were big on the uncut sheets, you were be, been able to piece together at least something from this the sheet A, but still it's not enough information yeah. to really say where do those short prints end up on, you know?
0: I've always been curious. Often it, you know. often it takes somebody like you and I to start to grab a sheet to figure out how it's laid out. I think, I think what would solve a lot of this, Bob, is... Uh, there's a PSA article I read a long time ago that mentioned, you know, that there's an uncut sheet that's found. And I, you know, and I mentioned, I don't have a scan Word. of that. Sheet. Uh, the only scan I have is of my, you know, is of my, uh, you know, 20 card sheet.
1: So maybe Word. I need to find
0: Word. that sheet and then, you know, lay that out. Cause they, you know, Word. if we had that, we, we'd be able to see how it's Ray cool. There's Ray Pool card number four. Which I've got. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, all right. I'm going
2: to dig yeah, into so I mean,
0: it. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, I get the feeling there's a, a, B, a B sheet or something like that that's filled with short prints. That maybe is a short print sheet. Maybe there weren't as many of them printed. Uh, right, know, because, right. yeah, these aren't laid out. These aren't, these aren't laid out, you know, four rows of nine to be conducive for, you know, your ninth card and your you know in your, uh, ninth Row or column, you know, was getting the crap kicked out of it. Um,
1: right, right. The, you know, the, the one, the one thing I really don't under, I, you know, I never could really put together. And now, years later, I can, I, you know, I have yeah, had enough time to think about it over the years. In the 1980s, the Beckett Guide came out. That was the basically the 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 uh, last word in anything football cards. Blah blah blah. But I never could understand that I, I I I always wanted more information. Well, why is this one short printed? Why is that sixty-four top short printed? Why is this printed? Why is this short printed? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. How did you end up with all these short printed sets? I mean, it was it was it just didn't make any sense to me. Oh, and now years later, I, I'm you know I have a lot more evidence and a lot more discussions on it, so it makes a lot more sense to me. But still, the Bowman. 48 Bowman, I never could understand the theory of the ninth. And unless it's seen on a sheet and or there is a completely separate sheet that was truly short-printed, then we'll never know until until it's out there. I'll dig into this. I'll update
0: everyone. Uh, And I'll update everyone because uh, let me see if I can find that
1: sheet. Uh, I'll
0: I'll, I'll post up on VFC and see if anyone has a a link to when it... uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Now, did you interesting? You, what other question? I, what other question I was going to ask you, and I, and I would normally ask you about uncut sheets. Other than that twenty card sheet, you've never seen an actual full sheet in auction, right? For the forty-eight. Uh, no,
0: because. The, the, the P S I I just looked the PSA article up. It's basically the link, you know, on the, uh, you know, when you go to the registry, right. they have a, Hey, read a short story right. here. And they said in 2006, yeah. a sheet, a full sheet was sold at auction. They don't mention the auction. So now Pro-car- I've got to go back to the bigs yeah. and you know, if it was like a legendary or a mastro, then, you know, we're, we're SOL because they took yeah. all their data yeah. down, you know, uh, so I'll dig into that. Amazing. I'll see if anyone got a copy of this. a couple of sheet collectors, by the way, a uh, uh, an uncut sheet, uh, you know, a modern uncut sheet like a 2008 metal chrome or something like that is uh, is for auction right now in the mile high, and it's uh, it's about triple what you know what a normal vintage sheet would go so go for. So oddly enough, there are other people out there who are who are collecting sheets, but they focus kind of on the modern stuff, which is interesting.
1: Wow! Wow! That is interesting. There's There's others among us. There's there's, there's other collectors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're out there. They're out there. All right, our special guest (laughs) is here, and I'd like to introduce him. Our special guest tonight is a dentist in private practice in Beaverton, Oregon, and has been in practice for the last nine years. He was born and raised in Eugene, Oregon, and is a graduate of the University of Oregon. He's been a football fan ever since he was a child, (laughs) As a kid, he became a huge Joe Montana fan and swore off the 49ers when they traded him. When he retired, he became a Carolina Panthers fan as they were a brand-new team, and they had several college players on their roster whom he had followed. He also loves the history of football and, as a result, loves reading about other football leagues, especially the defunct United States Football League. His collecting interests include Oregon, Joe Montana, the USFL, Memorabilia, and Vintage Collecting. I'd like to welcome to our show this evening, Mr. Richie Berg. Richie, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Welcome, neighbor.
2: <laughs> Hi. Now I gotta I gotta ask you a
1: question and get this out of the way. Joe is All Richie right. your personal dentist. No, he no, he's not. (laughs) Rich
0: joined the what about a year ago? Rich, Uh, I mean, you know, most people think of Oregon as uh, you know, probably you know, think of Oregon as that you know, all the cities are so close you can get to them by wagon. But uh, you know, Beaverton is probably what do you say, Rich? About you know, fifteen miles away from Portland.
2: Yeah, probably. It's, it's a good 30 or 40 minute drive anyway. We're, we're pretty far apart.
0: Yeah. You know, now, even longer if you well, encounter, you know, protesters or something like that. Yeah, no uh, kidding. I,
1: I find that, I find that a weak excuse. If um,
0: I'm just going <laughs> to ask for a
1: few I'll say he could cap me some dental care or whatever, but. I, I won't mention
0: yeah, I it be no. very good but anyways I wouldn't be a very good customer I don't have any categories. getting on to the. i have uh, a perfect, perfect question Richard, thanks
1: for being on tonight and I'd like to lead off by uh if you could tell our audience how you got started collecting football cards and football memorabilia
2: sure well I think it all starts with just you know being a fan at an early age you know I didn't grow up in a house of huge fans but my folks loosely followed football when I was really uh, because because my uh mother's cousin played in the NFL for a, a brief stint. So football was oh, wow. always kind of on when we were you know, growing up. And then with the Ducks getting good at the time, obviously the Niners being good with Montana, it was just, you know, you became a football fan. And then I discovered trading cards um, from a friend of my father's who actually had owned a card shop in a neighboring town that had gone out of business. And I remember in his garage, at least my childhood re- re- recollection, is an entire, like, pallet of wax boxes of late 80s tops. They used to just give me and my brother. So I probably opened 20 boxes of 88 and 89 tops growing up, and it just sort of, you know, kind of grew from there. Wow.
0: Wow. What well, we would give for that pile of wax right no. now. No kidding.
1: That's pretty cool. You know what uh, that's looking cool. Well, <laughs> that's uh, that, Rich, that 88 tops to yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Caps, i know that so mm-hmm. wow, well it's funny that's for me
2: i always I always love the eighty nines that's what I remember most for some reason there was a
0: uh and i remember I don't know if i've told the i i've probably told you bob, but uh you know you know fifteen yeah. years ago, a guy on the c u boards was selling a bunch of the eighty eight and he was selling it for like five dollars a box, but shipping was five dollars a box, and it wasn't worth that much back then. And he was up in Seattle, and I'm like, I'll buy that. I'll get five bucks a box. but meet me in Centralia, which is halfway between Portland and Seattle. It's about 90 miles north. I said, okay. Well, I didn't realize what, like, you know, 150 wax boxes weighed, and I show up my old Ford <laughs> Bronco. And we just yeah, start Portland. loading into it. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it just I just start stacking and stacking. I'm like, oh, my, and I have to bucket the seats down. I had to put it in the passenger seat. And I just, uh, you know, by the time I was done, my car was loaded. And I was just, you know, you could see it sitting down low. You know, it took me two days to unload it in my house. And yeah, I wish I had those boxes. Now I'd be driving down to BBC, you know, BBC <laughs> and, uh, and getting Uh But, uh, Richie, you and I are both mutual Oregon Duck fans. I mean, we've exchanged a few texts about where our seats are and, you know, meeting up at a game. Uh, and, you know, I'm a, uh, you know my wife's i did not know if i told you my wife uh you know was on the you know on the endowment committee you know for years so, i mean she actually hmm. yeah so we, we used to go to a lot of you know sit up in the president's suite and stuff and watch games anyways of your passion your your collection of of organ duck items you know tell us about a, a few of them and how you came about getting
2: them. sure so i uh, you know first of all i I kind of grew up in the 90s. I, I really kind of came into Oregon football right when they uh, were, kind of had that miracle Rose Bowl run in, in 94, which I was, I think, nine years old. So that, that particular season sort of stands out as, like, the greatest sports moment of my childhood, and that Rose Bowl yeah. game especially. So I try and – anything 94 Oregon, I'm all over. And recently I came into a position, I was able to purchase a uh, a player ring from the 94 – so, 95 Rose Bowl. Um, that was given to a defensive lineman who was relatively known at the time. And that's kind of the core, core piece of my collection. I, I'm really quite proud of that one. Uh, I found it out of an estate for a, a, a jewelry store in, in Canada of all places. I'm not sure how they got it, but they did and they were able to make a, make a deal and, and get a hold of it. Um, randomly Canada. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, the big piece. You know, I've got a few game-used balls, a couple of random things. Um, one really interesting thing, though, is, again, that 94 team being so special, and, Joe, you probably remember back in those days, they used to put out like the little helmet stickers for big play, like uh, Ohio State does yeah. today, right, the little, little round stickers. So I got a mini helmet, and I took a bunch of pictures I found online from the Rose Bowl I actually recreated the quarterback's helmet from that team using little homemade – Half size scale stickers, and uh, I, have a re- so I have a mini replica of his helmet. Who was my favorite player on that team, and I was able to track him down. And he signed it for me. So it's kind of a unique little piece of my uh, of my collection. that's special to me, but probably worthless to everybody else. And I think uh, one last cool one. I'm a I'm a photographer. It's sort of a hobby. And 25 years, almost to the day after that 95 Rose Bowl, I was at the Rose Bowl, watching Oregon beat Wisconsin. And I took a spectacular picture of the stadium with the sun setting and colors in the skies, and I had it framed with my ticket. And so that's a pretty special piece uh, to me as well.
0: Have you showed a picture of that? That sounds cool. Really, really beautiful. Um, I don't know if I have one enough,
2: but I'll, I'll, I, can, I can post the pictures up. You guys can check it out. I'll do that yeah. today if I remember. Awesome. Man, that sounds
0: cool. Uh, you know the you know the famous phrase at Austin Stadium, you know that they always announce.
2: Oh yeah, never rains it all.
0: Never rains rained. at and <laughs> I've, I've I've got a few pictures of some real rainoffs.
2: <laughs> well, you know when they played uh, they played Stony Brook earlier in the year, and it it didn't rain, but it monsooned before the game. I don't know if you were there at on that one, Joe, but um, there was a spe- spectacular rainbow over the stadium before before kickoff. They got a pretty spectacular photo of. Um which I should probably post as well at some point.
0: Wow. Really good. Cool. Yeah, they they usually start uh, the, the schedule out with what I call their bye week, you know, which is they play a weird <laughs> team. You know, like Stony Brook with their <laughs> weird team this year. And it's their it's their bye week. So yeah, we always, yeah. I always broke around it's in school, but yeah. It I, that's
1: good. I can I can I, I only, only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine how much they paid Stony Brook to go out there and, and play. I mean, that's incredible.
2: I mean, what was the Yeah, point? I, you mean, know, I and, and, it on you – know, I mean... It was six figures for sure. I can't remember what it was.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I know it was pretty high. It was pretty, it was pretty bad, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> Richie? You've got a lot of stuff in your collection. You've got a lot of different pieces. Can you name uh, for our audience uh, your top five items and describe them uh, Awesome. Sure.
2: So, um, you know, I kind of mentioned the Rose Bowl ring. That's, that's pretty high up on the list. Quick description, 10-karat gold, the large player's ring. Because of N C A rules without value, though, it couldn't be totally encrusted with diamonds. So it's, it's, you know, cubic zirconia's. Uh, it's got some tile work in it. It's got a big O in the middle, a duck on the side. It's, uh, you know, for being mostly synthetic stones and 10-karat and gold, it's really quite a, a, a impressive, though. It's real pretty. Um, kind of other facets of my collection as far as vintage football cards, I would say my, my best piece is definitely my 65 Namath rookie. I have one. It's not it's not super high-end. It's a piece of PSA4, but I love it all the same. Uh, I have a long-term goal of putting the whole set together, but the name of it is about all I've got at the moment. Uh, so that'd be number two, I guess. Number three, um, I have a really cool uh, USFL game use piece. I'm not sure if you guys remember an old Bengals tight end named Dan Ross, but he was an All-Pro a couple times in the early 80s and finished out his career with, with the USFL playing for the New Orleans and then later Portland Breakers. Um, and I happen to have his his game used Breaker's helmet, which is kind of a cool local Portland artifact because he played here for a season. Uh, but also really cool is that, and you can see on his 85 USFL TOPS card, he actually modified his face mask. He wanted a little bit more, apparently a little more vu- visibility, so he took what looks like a hacksaw and cut the top bar off his face mask, giving himself a kicker-style mask, which is pretty cool, and I guess it's, like, it's oh. pretty evident on his, on his TOPS card. It's unique looking. So he might he, um, des- describe that. Describe that face mask one more time. He, uh,
1: what did he do with it again? I'm. Not, I'm
2: so it's like a, it's like a three enough. bar face. It's, it's it's like a three bar face mask originally, but he took what right. looks like a okay. hacksaw based on the cut marks and he cut the top bar off. So it was a real oh, okay. low okay. face okay. mask okay. down by his chin almost. But I mean, he's a okay. he Was a okay. tight end, so it just must have been a tough dude. Okay. Okay. And like I All said, right. if you look up the 85 top USFL cards that he's on, uh, you you can see it very clearly, what he's done.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. I got to that Wow. Cool.
2: That one's kind of neat. Nice. Um, yeah. Another interesting piece, which I picked up not too long ago in an online auction, is a, it's a game used NFL ball that was used in the Week 1 1990 Monday night game between the Saints and the 49ers. And on one panel, it's all painted up because it was uh, Saints defensive back Tori Cook had intercepted it. And it was one of the balls he kept because it, you know, was a ball he he picked off. And I bought it because I realized it didn't say this in the auction, but if you go back and look at the game, that ball was thrown by Montana, and it's uh, it's an actual wow. game used Joe Montana throwing oh, ball. Wow. Um, and if <laughs> you think about it, uh Montana interception ball is probably rarer than a touchdown ball because you see about half as many. So that's kind of an interesting one. I display it on my bookshelf with the painted panel backwards so you can't see it. And I have a little label that says, you know, Montana game year's ball. But, uh, yeah, it's an interception ball. <laughs>
0: that's actually wow. really – that's a that's a funny way to think about it, that an interception ball is worth more than a touchdown ball. That's kind of funny. And maybe not, I like it.
2: Maybe not worth more, but definitely rarer. You know, because I think he threw 139 picks to 277 touchdowns. Yeah. Good point. Anyhow, so that's kind of a fun one. Cool. And finally, I'll I'll give you one last one, the fifth one. It was a modern card. Um, I'm a kid in the 90s, so I love modern-ish stuff. And that junk wax era, there's not a lot of really rare things. So if you can find a really rare thing, that's pretty cool. Um, In 1995, when Montana retired... He signed an exclusive deal with Upper Deck, but he still had some cards with other brands. And Skybox got a little bit jumpy about having too many Montana cards, and so they pulled a couple of his really early in production and created a couple really scary short prints. And there's two insert cards from his Skybox Impact product uh, that are almost nonexistent. One of them is their future Hall of Famer insert. Which I was able to track down a PSA8 uh, example of. Um, I don't have the other one, but I have the one, so it's kind of a, a unique and special one Wow! wow. <laughs> you know, I got. <laughs> you're, you're kind, of, you're kind uh, of all over the board. You there is
1: got... no, there is no such thing as junk wax anymore or junk wax carts. I mean, to hear what. Lo- was there through those years, and how much the overproduction, yada yada yada, all that. But there are cards like that that you never even heard of, and they're out there, and and you know they're 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 worth they're worth something. You know what I mean? It, it oh, yeah. Amazes me. It, it really amazes me. So uh, I I I really don't call it junk wax anymore because it's, it's not junk. It's, it's it's valuable stuff. You know. It's
2: amazing. And as a as a kid of that era, and remembering some of these rare cards, there are there are some real gems in the '90s, and there's not 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 ton, but there's some really cool cards out there for sure.
1: Yep. 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 Uh, Well, you you
0: you've been collecting a long time. You've been uh, you know, I mean, just and what I always love hearing is just people's collecting stories because you know, Bob's been. You know, he's the hobby stalwart here. But, I mean, you know, he's, he's got more stories, than, you know, than most. But, I mean, we it, – it's, it's fun to hear people's stories about how they, how they collect stuff, how they bump into stuff, just like you're talking about that ring, you know, you found in Canada. Uh, do you have any, you know, collecting stories you want to
2: share? You know, I don't really have anything other than what I've already said that there is really that cool. Um, but what I do have, as far as collecting, what I do have is, and some of you may already know this, one of my other hobbies is like create custom trading cards. You know, I, and I, I've been doing that for five or six years, and that has had some really cool interactions because of that side of the hobby. And I'll give you one example here. Um, I was doing some custom designs, posting them on, on, online, and someone reached out to me and said, "Hey, I really like what you're doing. Um, is there, can I talk to you about a potential project?" So I said, "Yeah, sure. What's up?" He said, "Well, my my buddy is the son-in-law of a Hollywood actor." Could had been in a number of sports movies, and they want to do something special for Father's Day for me. was in his mid-70s. And I said, okay, and would, would you be able to, you know, do a couple designs, um designs of his characters from the, the various movies and make them up for us? And I thought that sounded like a really fun project. Uh, the actor turned out to be um, a man by the name of Chelsea Ross, who probably his most famous sports roles were Major League. He was one of the pitchers. And then in um, Rudy, he played Dan Devine. And so we, I ended up doing, oh, seven or eight different designs, I think seven. Done them design. They liked them, printed them up, and they, they ended up putting them, like, in a shadow box display, and they gave it to him for Father's Day. A couple weeks later, I got a really nice two-page-long handwritten letter from this, this gentleman, yeah, uh, Mr. Ross, and um, signed photo and just, I mean, we really thankful. How it was really cool. That was kind of a kind of a fun encounter.
1: Oh,
0: that's pretty cool. Did he? I mean, did he say thanks? Was there, was there ever like, "Hey, this is awesome"?
2: Or yeah, I, I, I was very thankful. So this was really cool. He, he liked because you, know, you know when movie characters don't have a ton of backstory, so I had to come up with a little bit of some backstory for his characters that he thought was pretty entertaining. <laughs> you know, statistics. You know, it's like he was one of the pitchers in major leagues, so I had to come up with a career statistics for him, and
0: oh my you know, God, that's funny. And,
2: so That was kind
0: oh, wow. of fun. Yeah, that's funny. That's cool. I love that. <laughs>
1: Sometimes, those, but I like you know the
0: the ones that the, they get made up are better than what they you know what a pops would come up with just because there's so much more thought that goes into it.
2: Hmm. Well, and the truth is, is that I kind of found a, a, an old pitcher who was because the movie tends to him as, as an older guy towards the end of his career, good career, but not legendary. Yeah. So I tried to find someone who is a similar type player and just. Sort of switched up some of the years and made a few cr- creative changes, and called it good. But he liked it. Well, wow. well,
1: that that leads me to the next question. How'd you get, how'd you get involved in creating um, those sports cards, and, and give us a little background on them?
2: So I've seen um, I've seen some people do it and post them online. I thought that's kind of a cool thing. I'm, I've always been kind of a computer yeah. guy, and I, I like playing those kind of, that kind of stuff. But Photoshop had always been something I'd really struggled with. I tried it a few times, couldn't make it work, and so I kind of gave up. I reached out to some of these guys saying, "Hey, I would love to try this." But they really didn't want to give me any advice. They were very gatekeeper-y about how they did things. Kind of was at a dead end. And sort of put it on the back burner, said, I'll do it someday. Then my brother-in-law came to me, and he asked me if I would be his wedding photographer because they didn't have a, a, a big budget, and I'm free, I'm free because I do, I do the picture stuff. And so I begrudgingly agreed, was, and then I realized, uh-oh, if I'm going to do this, I'd I better learn how to use the Photoshop program so I can give them good pictures. So I kind of became really motivated to learn the software, and it sort of all kind of clicked in my head that I can – I mean, I can learn the program by trying to design one of these football cards. That would be a great way to learn the tools and how to do things. And, and so with a renewed sense of urgency, I just sat down. I kind of decided, you know, I, I, I always loved 1967 Tops football, so I thought that would be a, a good design to try and replicate. I picked that, uh, card, uh, that quarterback from Oregon from 94, who I liked so much, and I said, I'm going to make a 1967 Tops. Style card of him and I just sat down and I went after it and spent a bunch of time doing it and it really turned out I was pretty happy with it and even better it was it was fun I was really I had a good time doing it it was you know, I really enjoyed it and I thought you know this I might want to do another one of these and so I did a couple more a couple for my, my mom's relative who played in the NFL who never had a card and before long I was just kind of churning them out, posting them online, and got a bunch of really positive feedback, and it just kind of grew from there. Interesting. Uh,
0: that's, okay, you mentioned the quarterback from 94, and that's Keely Smith, isn't it?
2: That's Danny Daniel O'Neill,
0: Daniel, Oh, that's right. Oh, man. I, I, I got out of the Navy in about 94, and I had a good friend who had eight season tickets to the Ducks, and we, we would load up in the back of his van and drive down, drinking the whole time and uh <laughs> it, it, it we we were horrible i mean nine ninety right uh spot 95 right after the rose bowls when we started going down uh you know where we lost to Penn, and uh
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i didn't really understand how it all worked i'm a, I'm a football fan but i didn't understand and uh it, it's just it, yeah yeah they, they were horrible you know through that little era so kind of kind of funny uh yeah it was yep yeah, they they just started getting good. Yeah, um, yeah. When Belotti came on, um
1: yeah, uh, quick, quick.
0: Yeah, what, what what's on your want list? I mean, because you know you you've talked about you know Joe Montana, you're, you know, you're working on custom cards. Uh, obviously, Oregon Duck. What would be on your want list? What is uh,
2: what, what's that thing that you search for all the time? Well, so honestly, I'm I'm all over the map of my collecting interests. So I'm I'm always kind of keeping an eye out for unique, organized, especially game use stuff. Same thing for the USFL. But as far as like trading cards, you know, there's one there's one random little set from Proline 1995 Proline. And I, I'm always I check every day. Um, they had a uh, they had their autographs, a big autograph set in, in that particular set or product. But so they also had a, a set called Printer's Proof, which were like they were like stamped like a red stamp one of 400, and they had a, a, you know, a parallel set of printer's proofs. Well, they also randomly made eight printer's proof players, limited to 50, that were signed. So there's, there's a small subset of printer's proof autographs with a, with a print, rate, print run of 50, and it was like two rookies, two young players, and a few and a few veterans. And one of my goals is to put that set together, and I've got five of the eight. So I'm, all, I'm always looking are, for those three that I'm missing.
1: Who are, the, who are the players in that set? Do you
2: know off the top of your head, Richard? <laughs> I can certainly try. So I can tell you I am missing oh, Trent Dilfer, Boomer Ison, and, uh, and Troy Aitman, the, the three I'm missing. The five I have, okay. Kerry Collins and Steve McNair, who were the rookies, um, Drew Bledsoe, who's one of the young players, I have Emmett Smith, and there's one more that I just, I'm blanking on at the moment. And I can, if I look here really fast at my computer, I can probably come up with it. But, you know, they were all <laughs> i kind of heard of back then. And, um, I've, I've been searching for years for these, for these, uh, eight cards. And, uh, wow. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there slowly, but surely. It's been a couple of years since I, I've found one, but it's, yeah, I can't find the, the last guy. I'm sorry, guys. I don't remember. Right. <laughs> that's, that's amazing.
1: That's it, you know, something that small, something that overlooked. Yeah. And again, it's probably in somebody's junk box for all well, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it could, it you could know, be. You know, it's amazing. Truly um,
2: amazing. The, f- the fifth player was Steve Young. I've heard of him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just I just couldn't think of it.
0: Wow. How'd you get wow. into those? That, that that's kind of an interesting set.
2: You know, when I was a kid I liked the pro line issues, the ninety fours and ninety fives. They had about one autograph per box, so that was kind of exciting. And I remember one day just flipping through the one of the Beckett magazines and I sort of saw this little sort of blip at the bottom with these eight cards where at the time Book value were hundreds of dollars a piece, and I thought, well, that'd be really cool. And then when I got back into collecting about ten years ago, I, I just decided that I was gonna try and track them down. And I, I haven't, I haven't found one for the last three years, but I do check periodically wow. for about once a week.
1: Wow, hmm. that's unbelievable. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, sure. I just I, I love that. It's, that's it's, a, something
0: we've never heard of. That it, it's their it's their white whale, and I just that always fascinates me. I love
2: that. Yeah, they're... they're, no, Richie,
1: they're I, it, it's I, well, and the it's the hobby. Yeah, I good I, point. Uh, I look for cards for people. I definitely got to mark down those three cards. So if I ever somehow come across them, I'll, I'll get it and. And uh, let you know because it's uh, that's amazing, Uh, an amazing set in my opinion. So obscure, I never heard of it. And to have those eight eight players in it on top of it, it's just uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that is amazing. And I can only imagine how many more of those obscure sets are out there, uh, from you know again from '89 up. You know, it's amazing. Truly amazing. Yep i got uh, one more question for you because I know uh, we're limited on time today. Ken, Ricky, give advice for a beginning collector in our hobby.
2: Sure. So, um, you know, collect what you like. As we just talked about, this hobby is so vast, and there's so many different things you can fall in love with. You know, just because it may not be popular, if you like it, collect it, and that's, and that's what makes it so great. You know, you guys were just talking a little bit ago about 1948 Bowman. I have never owned one. I really don't have any interest in owning one, but you guys are so passionate about that set. And then we have, and I have these 95 autos that no one but me's ever heard yeah. of because I, you know, yeah. would do almost anything to find. So collect what you like, you know, and, and if it's not valuable today, who cares, it may be tomorrow, and what's <laughs> valuable today may not be tomorrow. So don't don't worry about if it's valuable or not. Just collect what you like. But you know, when you decide what you like, try and find the nicest example. Be, you know, have it's better to have a small collection that you really love than a massive collection yeah. of of stuff that's just that's just there.
0: You know, Bob, that's I, I begin to notice a pattern. All the guests that we have. All the real smart ones say, "Collect what you like." I, I've always appreciated that, and I never ever get tired of that answer because I, I think that is uh, that's the, the most true thing you can you, you can do. Um, yeah, right on, Richie. Quick, quick question here. Uh, sure. About uh, two years ago, right before this COVID thing kicked off, uh, again I mentioned my wife's on the on the you know was on the board, but we still go to a lot of their auctions. Uh, one of the auctions they had um, was a uh, private dinner with some Hall of Famers. Uh And uh, and it was headed up by Drew Bledsoe, who happens to live, you know, in eastern Washington in a little town called Milton Freewater. And he's got a winery out there. So he got together with a bunch of other Hall of Famers, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, put together this dinner with him, And uh, a guy you might have heard of named Dan Fouts. Yep, plus twice. So my question to you is I I ended up winning this auction because obviously I wouldn't mind sitting down with uh, Drew Bledsoe and Dan Fouts and a couple other guys. And I I forget their names. They were good. and I I know it's stupid. I should remember. You know, we had to skip it because of COVID, and they bumped it again this year until next year. Uh, But, you know, Fouts and Bledsoe are the two I remember. If you had the chance to sit down for a nice homemade dinner, you know, on Drew Bledsoe's ranch with Dan Fouts, what would you ask him?
2: You know, honestly, I would be more interested in hearing about just, you know, Don Coryell's offense and, and what it was like to play in a system like that when it was so, when it was so innovative. You know, I feel like Dan's experience at Oregon is probably not that exciting, in my opinion. They weren't that good back then. But yep. that, air, that that Air Coryell offense, was, it, for its era, was something to behold. And so I would love to just get some insight into what it was like to play in that system when it was so new and so unique to the NFL. I like that. Wow. Don't tell uh, Todd
1: cool.
0: Tobias this, but I'm a closeted uh, air Coryell era San Diego Chargers fan, you know. I do not like Charlie Joyner, John Jefferson, Chuck Muncie, you know, Dan, you know, you know, take three steps straight back, you know, Fouts, you know, kind of guy, you know, not to mention Kellen Winslow out there on the end. Just what, what a team, you know, we're 400 yards mm-hmm. of passing with average day at the office, you know, Dan.
2: Right. Yeah. In, in an era where that was just unheard of.
0: I've got a, a book that Todd wrote called, uh, you know, Bombs Away. I think I'm going to take that and ask him to look at that. I'm not sure if he's seen it. So, uh, that, that's probably what I do. I was just curious because I, I, I haven't thought about what I'm going to ask them about, but I, I tended to focus a little more on the uh, the San Diego Chargers Eric Coriel here as well. I hear you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a cool book. That's a good book. That's a good book. Okay, Richie. Any other final thoughts? I know I know you got to uh, get back to work. There, I don't want to keep you. <laughs>
2: Not, no, no, not really. I mean, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I was, I was kind of nervous, but really excited to, to do this, and it was, it's been a lot of fun. I, I so thank you for just uh, for, for inviting me on, and it's been great. Well, thank
1: you, Richard. It's uh, great to hear about your collection, and uh, you got some beautiful items in your collection. Seeing seeing the stuff on VFC and, and the like, and your your uh, classic. Uh, cards that you make up at the same time are, are just uh, so interesting to look at. And so uh, they're so cool to look at. It's, it's great. I, I truly enjoy them. Keep up the good work. Sure. Well, thank
2: you. And you know, if um, I'm always looking for ideas, so if anybody out there has any uh, any any creative ideas for my next design, you know, shoot me a message. I will I'll add on the list. Alrighty.
1: Yeah. I love it. All right. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard I- Bear. Hey. Big Ergon, USFL Joe Montana, and an obscure eight-card autograph set from the '90s. <laughs> Amazing collection. He's starting I, to sound. I tell you,
0: starting to sound like my intro I, I, at the beginning of the show, where it's like uh, Joe Squires, Steve Large at Red Grange, Seattle Seahawks stuff—just all stuff that's all over the board.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it, but that defines you, Joe. I mean, it's a, it's you know you you have a you have a very. Um, young, uh, view of the Seahawks. You were there at the beginning, you know, you followed the history of the team, so on and so forth. And I think that's, that's pretty neat, you know, and, and in Richie's case too, we started with the Panthers when they were a new team. I had a good buddy of mine who actually lived outside of Winston Salem at the time. And, uh, he, he was, uh, an original Panthers uh, season ticket holders and he would send me some of the stuff from the first season and you know honestly for me yeah it was interesting to read but it it didn't do anything for me you know what i mean so you got to have the passion for what for what you're collecting and i and i go back to the yeah. you know i go back to the year of 89 roughly to 99 i look at that 10 year period of all the different cards that came out all the different things that came out so on and so forth i always said i don't know anybody's going to keep up with this stuff but i always, i also said too there's going to be sleepers in these boxes as the years go on and if anybody had any foresight, enough storage space, and enough cash, you'd be buying wax boxes and just putting them away type of thing. So uh, here's a good example of that A-card set, which I, I knew nothing about whatsoever, really. I know he had mentioned it before on VFC, but, yeah. uh, you know, I never, I mean, I have no clue on it, and I didn't even know they existed, but I'm wondering if they're, you know, they're buried in a junk box somewhere type of thing. So I find that I find that pretty interesting. That's truly amazing. All right. I'm going to uh, hand off with, uh, to you, Joe. Uh, we're going to get ready for a two-minute uh, two-minute wrap-up here. And before we do, again, if you're not a subscriber to Iron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? Oh. Dot com. Joe, hand it off to you on tonight's show. And let's
0: add to that. If you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats and you're listening to this podcast, uh, you should visit GridironGreats.com and definitely sign up for the magazine. It's it's awesome. I'm looking at it right now. It's sitting on my desk. I read it, and usually I read it, and then I go back and reread it, and then I hit it one more time. Volume 20, number 74. Amazing photo on the front. Martin Jacobs, uh, you know, article like you mentioned. Just a, a great episode i in all honesty bob i've always loved the editor's page i read your editor's page note from top (laughs) to bottom a couple times i love your summaries uh because that's you that's from the heart i i really enjoy those just that my nod to the captain well thank you
1: i i i i I, I I I i agonized about this this issue's column several times brenda actually made me rewrite it a couple times (laughs) a <laughs> you know, simple reason that uh, I came down too hard on the 21 cards, uh, the packs and the, how much they cost yeah. and yada, yada, yada. And I got to realize there's, there's a lot of people out there who look for those cards. They go and, and they, they don't mind waiting and buying only one or two packs at a time. And they like opening them and they like finding the cards, so on and so forth. And I got to respect that. And I got to understand that a little better. Uh, I'm, too much yeah. of a dinosaur in the hobby, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, with the whole influx of cards beginning in 1989, and just th- just doesn't seem to be ending. Uh, 32 years later, there's still a massive amount of new product out there, and I still don't know who's buying it. You know what I mean? I mean, if you bought everything from '89 to this year, you would have probably... Twenty times the amount of what could have been bought from '88 back. You know what I mean? And that's what I just yeah. don't get. I just don't understand. I really don't understand. You know? But uh, it is what it is. I got to live with it, and that's it. And I got to say this: I opened up all my uh, packs. I didn't keep them. Oh, you did. I broke them open, oh. and I and I pulled cards. And I got to say this on the prestige packs. I got two packs with the same exact cards in them.
0: <laughs>
1: I can't believe that would happen.
0: Nice. That's um, interesting. You know what? Both of us need to do a better job of not being, you know, the old man yelling, get off my lawn when we talk about modern packs and stuff. Uh, it's just like our, you know, you know. that's what I love about being on the show is just you hear about somebody's passion, just like what we you know, mentioned with Richie. We haven't heard of it, but he's yep. passionate about it. And that's okay and good for you. What a, what a
1: nod,
0: yep, yep. A, a nod to it, and, uh, uh, and uh, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we have to knock it. So I mean, you know, ditto with you know opening up twenty twenty one Panini. Gosh, remember I had that memorized. Just what those packs that I bought, what they were called, and I bought some, you know, and I put them right on my shelf. Yep. So I mean, is that okay? Ah, who knows? So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know. It's a, it's a, it's it's really amazing. It's really amazing. So. All those uh, those packs I had bought down here, that I was keeping on open. I, I just said, let me open them and see what see what's in them. Blah blah blah, and I did. And it, they, they were interesting to look at, and that's about all I'm going to say about them. I, it does not entice me to want to collect the set, and or you know, basically what I what I've been doing for the past few years since there's no tops in any, anymore. If I can find packet cards, I pick them up, I hold them, and, and that's it. You know, that's what it comes down to. All right, we're down to 30 seconds, Jeff, Final thoughts? Great show. Good guest. Thank you for putting
0: this together, Captain, and your labor of love as a publisher of Gridiron Greats. Thank
1: you. Yeah, he's got, he's got a great passion for the hobby. It's nice to hear, and it was great hearing about his collection. All right, we're almost out of time. Again, check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? And hopefully we'll be back next week with another show. Thanks for listening.